Today on the ZabeCast, Wild Card Weekend recap all four games and everything that happened. Jeff Triplett's bumbling swan song, Concussion Protocol. Yeah, we're not doing that. Andy Reid chokes again. Saint Swagger and Maddie is ice. All that plus friend of Zabe, JT the Brick, in Vegas. He will talk about the return of Chucky to the Raiders. You got a half an hour to kill, then buckle up and let's go. All right, everyone is saying, so how'd you like the wild card weekend? And we, as a society, have to always rate things like, was it good? Uh, how are the games? Was it fantastic? If the games weren't all like Cracker Jack down to the very last second, balls, awesome, people are quick to go, eh, yeah, kind of sucked. I actually thought the wild card weekend was meh plus or maybe great minus on the great meh suck scale. I don't think it was suck. Even the Buffalo-Jacksonville game, which by all objective standards, I think most people would say sucked, I found, I found some intrigue in that. I, I found some enjoyment in that. Maybe it's the fact that it was the Romo-Nance game, which, by the way, I wrote about at Zabe.com. Ding, 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 ding. I, ranked, I rated, ranked, commented on the 4A team broadcasters. From the weekend, the four A-teams in the NFL. And I just thought that Romo and Nance were so far ahead of the field, and they are so good, that I think Romo is basically the best television NFL analyst in my lifetime. And when I say best, I mean best as in, you know, not only do I like what he does, he gives you more stuff than any other analyst has ever given you. In fact, I was shocked at times seeing how quickly, like within seconds of a play ending, Romo would have diagnosed, well, see, this linebacker here didn't have gap control because he was subbing in for another linebacker who had left the game due to an injury. And not only was Romo on top of well, why that play happened, but the graphics guys at Fox had this great overhead all-22 shot with some of the you know digital graphic overlays the, the lines and all this other next-gen stuff that they're pimping. But they would have you know the diagram on top of it as well. And, I mean, literally, it was within seconds of the play ending. And I just thought, damn, pretty impressive. So as the Bills-Jaguars game was clearly the least tasty of all four games, I still found it to be rather compelling once the second half got going because you realize that these two teams were locked in a death dance, a struggle of wills that was going to end with one team scoring a touchdown and the other team saying, well, congratulations, we, we were not going to score a touchdown, so looks like this is your game. And the tight, or the, excuse me, the uh, Buffalo Bills couldn't get it done. The Jaguars did, in part because Doug Marone, Marone had the stones to make the right play to try to win the game, which was to go for it on fourth and goal from the two-yard line. I'm not saying that every coach should always go for it, although we at home on the couch like to play Madden all the time with, you know, other people's teams and games and seasons. Go for it, go for it, yeah, go for it. Throw a bomb, man, what the hell? Like, we don't care. We haven't spent our entire life leading to this moment, so, you know, if if they screw up on fourth and goal, we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, "Eh, oh, well, it didn't work out. But that was the right call by Doug Marone, and Bortles made the play, and his tight end made the catch. 
even though they had to go to replay, and they're like, oh, boy, maybe he was moving. But that was the right call. That's why some coaches like Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy don't have that killer instinct and will not go. They will not win. Most of the time, they will not win big games. I know McCarthy has a Super Bowl and, you know, incredible run as a six seed, as a wild card, going on the road, uh, one, two, three games, and then winning the Super Bowl against Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But for the most part, coaches that don't get it as to, hey, you got to go win the game, you can't just wait for the other team to lose it, those are the ones that are going to do better over the long haul. And I think, you know, Marone was brilliant in doing that because, you know, a field goal there, eh, you know what? You might have won the game on that. Might have won the game 6-3, to three, but he figured, screw it. We're down here at the goal line. We're going to call a play. We're going to win the game. The last game of the weekend, Sunday afternoon, involved Sean Payton going for it on fourth and two around midfield with almost two minutes left for the Panthers to come back and maybe score a touchdown to win the game. And some people were blasting him for that, saying, how can you go for that? You know, Why do that? And I'm thinking, because if he makes the fourth and two, they win. Game over. End of story. If they miss the fourth and two, they turn the ball over to uh, you know the other team uh, at worst at midfield Carolina. But in this case, they got it at the 30. It was like a very short punt because it was intercepted. Stupid. And it was probably dropped, which, of course, replay is supposed to fix. Of course, replay is supposed to review all turnovers. But this review was so quick. It was the quickest review if they actually did officially review that Panthers interception and they did not change it. See, now what's weird is you can say, well, we review all turnovers and all scoring plays. Okay, but was it a turnover on downs, which you don't review, or was it a turnover by way of interception? Because it was essentially a double turnover. Either way, either way, it was going to be a turnover. It was only a matter of yardage. Now, of course, this is where if you want to get nitpicky about it, the Panthers got screwed because they were not allowed to challenge because you can't challenge plays within two minutes because the way the rule is written, the NFL said, well, we don't want to make coaches make these tough decisions in the final two minutes of the game because that's when games really depend on getting the calls right. So we're just going to take that out of their hands and say, don't worry, no, no, no. Last two minutes of each half and end of the game, we're going to take care of all the replays and make sure everything is right until they just breeze over that interception in that game and hurt the Panthers in terms of yardage. Of course, did it really matter? No, it didn't really matter because on the very first play, the Panthers throw the ball to Funchess. He gets it about the 50-yard line, and they are literally back where they would have had the ball had they spent five minutes reviewing that interception with only about 11 seconds taken off the clock and plenty of time left to go drive for a game-winning touchdown. And of course, the uh, you know the the intentional grounding call, which Ron Rivera and Cam Newton didn't like. It's borderline. You know, it was borderline. Was there a receiver kind of in the area? Sort of. Was he outside of the uh, tackle box, as it was called, or outside of the pocket? I suppose. Yeah, close. But guess what? Even if it's not intentional grounding, it's still an incomplete pass, which is a loss of down. And yes, it cost him eleven yards. Uh, And yes, it made converting on fourth down a lot tougher. But did it really impact the outcome of the game? Probably not. But people, I don't want to get too deep into the officiating and the refereeing. We'll we'll touch on it here. You know my stance on instant replay. 
and I'm gaining converts every single day, which is great. And I do believe that within five years you will see either a repeal of replay or a dramatic curtailing of so-called instant replay or replay as the pro replay like people like to say. Because it used to be called instant replay, and then we quickly found out, well, it's not instant at all. It takes fucking forever, and it just gums up the game hopelessly. So then the pro replay people said, well, it's just replay. Kind of like climate change used to be global warming. Well, see, it's, it's climate change. See, it's changing. So on the replay front, I think that we're heading towards a day, hopefully, I think, in which each coach, and personally, I'd get rid of it all. You know my stance on that. I can't believe you'd say that. Uh, yeah, because I grew up my entire life almost without replay, and it was fine. No, but if you can't get rid of it entirely, which um, would be my dream, and I still think it's possible, but uh, would be my dream, is that you give each coach one red flag. That's it. One red flag in the pocket. And you tell each coach, be very precious with this. Be very careful with this precious flag I'm giving you. This flag grants you the ability to throw on the field, to stop all action, to come to us as referees and say, I think you messed up, and we will take a look. And that could be on anything. I would make it so you get one replay of anything, including things like holding and pass interference. Although, if I'm a coach, I really wouldn't challenge those because I think those gray area calls that are judgment calls less likely to be overturned on replay. But there was a blatant defensive pass interference by the Jaguars on a third and 10 that was not called, which you can go on the internet and see the screen caps and see uh, clearly the defender had his arm completely wrapped around the receiver well before the ball arrived. So what are you going to do? So I thought the wild card weekend was was great minus math plus. Look, it's football. There's only seven games left. Four games coming up this weekend, two of which might be complete duds. In fact, they all might be complete duds. Did you see the quarterback start disparity chart in all four games? It's ridiculous. It's like... Let me try to guess at this. I don't have it up handy at the moment. Can somebody send me this now on on the Zabecast, the games itself? Okay, here we go. Uh, First of all, the lines for this weekend. Let's start with Saturday. First game, Falcons-Eagles. Eagles are two-and-a-half-point home underdogs as the one seed. I think that is unprecedented, and it's pretty rare that, you know, it's pretty rare for a six seed. Well, six seeds. I liked Liam McHugh say at the end of the Falcons-Rams game, well, the Falcons go to Philadelphia knowing that there have only been two six seeds to have ever won the Super Bowl. And I'm like, that's pretty good, actually. You can't say only two six seeds to have won the Super Bowl. The six seed is not supposed to win the Super Bowl. So the fact that there have been two since we've gone to this new playoff format uh, less than 30 years ago, or about 30 years ago exactly, that's not bad. But I think in terms of being a favorite on the road as a six seed, this might be new uncharted territory. Falcons are minus 2.5 against Nick Foles and the Eagles. Uh, Matt Ryan, I think, has 20 playoff starts. Nick Foles has, like, one. The Titans at the Patriots. Patriots are 13-point favorites at night, at home, in New England, and where check those ball pressures. 
New England's a 13-point favorite. Marcus Mariota making his second playoff start. Tom Brady has made, I think, 35 playoff starts at quarterback. On Sunday, Jaguars at the Steelers. Blake Bortles has made one playoff start this past weekend in which he ran for more yards, 88, than he threw, 87, taking on Big Ben, who has made something like 28 or so playoff starts. Don't quote me on any of these starts, by the way. I'm just guesstimating here. And then you got the Saints and the Vikings, in which Case Keenum will be making his first playoff start at home. At least the Vikings are still four-point favorites against the Saints. Oh, yeah, Pittsburgh's minus seven at home. I think Jacksonville could absolutely upset him, despite the fact that um, Bortles threw for pretty much garbage in that game against the Bills. And the Vikings are four-point favorites at home because they're just a really, really solid all-around football team. And Keenum, despite his inexperience, has played a great it's played great football this season. So Vikings minus four against the Saints, but the start disparity between quarterback and between the two quarterbacks is massive, as Drew Brees has, like I said, started a mm, whole bunch of playoff games. All right, Jeff Triplett. Let's talk about Triplett for a second. People are like, oh, my God, you called it, Zabe. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, you know, remember that you know you went through that whole rant on Friday's show on ESPN 980 about all these past Jeff Triplett screw-ups and da-da-da-da-da and the quotes about him from various media members being the worst guy in the NFL. You called it. Did you see the game, the Chiefs game? I mean, look at those fumbles he messed up. And look at it. I'm like, I didn't call anything. This was as obvious. <laughs> this, was, this was not calling anything. This was like, duh. Of course Jeff Triplett's going to fuck things up. And now the word is he's retiring, to which some people say, Well, are you happy now? And my answer to that is, yes, I'm happy. And no, I don't feel bad in the least about sending him out, trashing his reputation as a referee. It's long overdue. And even worse, you look at his playoff assignments in the past. I read this over the weekend. The last playoff game Jeff Triplett got assigned to was 2013. So that's four years of non-playoffs. He didn't suddenly find it again as a referee this season. No way, no how. I guarantee you he had already made up his mind to retire prior to the postseason assignments coming out, that the people in that referee circle who still, I think, like and respect Jeff Triplett, they probably have a much different opinion of him than we do, said, hey, you know what, Jeff, we're going to put you on a game this weekend. Since you're retiring, let's send you out with one last playoff game. And that is a horrible, stupid, awful way to decide who should be refereeing high-stakes games that are magnified. But they did anyway. And so he took the game, and he refed the game, and he sucked at the game, which is what Jeff Triplett does. I have no respect for a referee that takes a game he knows he shouldn't take. So, yeah, in short, F Jeff Triplett. Uh, The referee, by the way. The war hero who served our country and earned the Bronze Star in uh, the first Gulf invasion. That guy. I tip my hat. You, sir, are a true American hero. The Jeff Triple referee, goodbye. Get out of here. You stink. Concussion protocol. Let's talk about this for a quick second. So Cam Newton got waylaid. He got jacked up, as they like to say, and then had to leave the game for one play. Uh, Derek Anderson near pick six, and then they decide, okay, let's wash him through the blue tent of miracles. And let's go ahead and uh, get him, get Cam back, Newt- Cam Newton back into the game. 
everyone is saying this is ridiculous. Adam Schefter has said, it is clear that uh, the Carolina Panthers have breached the concussion protocol. Because at any time you go down to a knee or become wobbly upright, which Cam Newton did after walking a good 20 yards toward the sideline, having to take a knee, that's not your visor scratching your eye. Duh! But this is how the NFL works. No policy, no matter how well-minded, that says we want to take care of our players. We take concussions very seriously. No policy is going to literally flush a chance to win a playoff game worth millions, tens of millions of dollars, just because a quarterback got knocked woozy. And that's the dilemma the NFL is in. The quarterback position is so important. It's such a determinant as to whether or not you have a chance, whether you win on a given Sunday or not, whether your season is hope, hopelessly lost due to an injury, see Packers, see Eagles, and winning. That's the difference. And so if you're going to try applying concussion protocols to quarterbacks, you can write all the rules in you want. You can say you have to do this, you have to do that. You can have a million spotters upstairs. But at the end of the day, if Cam Newton is upright and can play, he's going to play over Derek Anderson because Derek Anderson stinks. And the game was in the balance. And sure enough, Cam Newton had him going until that in-the-grasp call or that intentional grounding call. They had him threatening. And they had a couple shots in the end zone. My God, uh, the Funchess non-catch. I'm like, dude, just grab that. Was it Funchess? Whoever was in the right corner that just sort of stopped and the ball dropped at his waist. I was kind of worried for the Saints there. So the blue tent of miracles, which is now what I'm calling this concussion tent, is we need to investigate this as the greatest healing tent in the history of modern medicine. In fact, if I ever come down with some horrible, incurable disease and I've got two weeks left to live, I am going to fight my way into an NFL game during play and get into that blue tent and say, fix me. And I'm going to come walking out the other side and go, I'm cured. Hallelujah. It's a miracle. Last ad today before we get to our guest, JT the Brick is going to talk about what Chucky 2.0 might look like in Oakland because he saw Chucky 1.0 as a longtime member of the Raiders organization. He does their podcast now uh, on whether or not he thinks Chucky can adapt now after nine years out. Talk to him in a second. One last thing. After the game, the Saints, and I think Mark Ingram posted a video, vertical, of course, uh, on social media of them whooping it up, dancing, party in the locker room. And Drew Brees came up behind Ingram and started doing the yeah, 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 and they're all partying. And that's great. I just tweeted, when I saw that video come on my timeline, I tweeted, well, this is something you'll never see the Patriots see. Or th- I said, here's something you'll never see the Patriots do, dot, dot, dot. That was it. Predictably, People besieged me with the, well, you can't celebrate? Or, oh, yeah, the Patriots are cheaters. That's what they're doing. They're working on ways to cheat right now. Or people were saying, lighten up, Francis. What's funny is that they didn't take my tweet literally, which is what they should have. Or they should have people taken my tweet to go, well, I'm not sure what he means by this, but factually he's correct. I didn't say the Saints shouldn't be doing this. It was just a stupid wild card game. I said, this is something you'd never see the Patriots do, meaning the Patriots and the Saints do things differently. That's all. The Patriots are buttoned-up, secretive, paranoid. The Saints are not. The Saints the Saints are fucking pirates is what they are, and I kind of like it. As Sean Payton has gone full 
fucking heel when it comes to other coaches and other teams. And he brought the broom out in the locker room. I mean, it was a big deal for them to sweep Cam and the Panthers this season. And there, there is real blood hate in that NFC South rivalry. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's who, she, and you know, Sean Payton with that handshake exchange with Dirk Cutter a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure if you guys saw that. He has gone full heel, and the Saints are pirates, and they celebrate and uh, let the good times roll. What's that? Uh, Roule bon temps aller, or whatever the saying is down there. I'm not judging. I'm just saying this is something the Patriots would never do. Don't assume that I'm favoring one thing or the other. Also, by the way, the Patriots would never do it because uh, they're never a wild card. (laughs) Or at least the last time they were a wild card, I think, predated William Belichick. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea... With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. He growls as All right, we're going back to Vegas, second day in a row here on the Zabe cast because... John Gruden is going to the Raiders, and he will, assuming he lasts two years, make it to Vegas, where our next guest is currently living. JT the Brick, Fox Sports Radio, my former colleague, has been living out there in the Valley for how many years now, JT? Zabe, I've been here twice, the second run since 2009, so I am a, ah. I am a Valley resident. I, this is my home for sure. Bro, it is all coming to you right now. The hockey team is there, up and running kicking ass i hear it's the talk of the town we'll get into that in a second and now the raiders are coming and chucky is coming back boy you've timed it right zabe it's been incredible i mean i can't imagine you know the hockey thing we'll get to later on is just explosive out here but with the raiders no, you just mentioned, will Chucky get here? You know, because it's a 10-year deal. And I thought Jack Del Rio was the face of the franchise two weeks ago, if you told me, as I was heading to Carson, California, on a day where Del Rio got fired on the last game of the year in the bowels of a soccer stadium where the Chargers <laughs> play. And, you know, Del Rio, you know, a year ago had a 12-4 and team with an injured quarterback. But uh, the Raiders, their ship uh, just sunk it was really disappointing how the season wrapped up, and when Chucky's available, you got to go get him. So you were there. You've been with the Raiders for twenty years doing stuff for them. You're the official Raiders podcast host. You do preseason sideline work as well. So you were there when Chucky was there the first time. Absolutely, I got hired the exact day he did. I got oh, you hired. Did. Okay. Yeah, same same day that they introduced Gruden. They didn't have a press conference for me, but I was brought in to uh, be the host of the pre and post game show for the Raiders. I was in that capacity for six seasons. So every game that John Gruden coached for the Raiders, I hosted the pre and post game and built a great relationship with him. And he came on the radio with me all the time. I hosted the John Gruden show on the radio. So I built a really nice bond with him until he was traded in the middle of the night after the tuck rule game and moved to Tampa Bay where he ended up winning a Super Bowl. There's a lot of pundits, JT, that are sort of throwing shade at the notion that Chucky can be successful the second time around. And I understand all the reasons they're throwing out there, and they're not necessarily 
wrong on the surface. But I know this. I would be hesitant to bet against John Gruden. He seems to me like a driven psychopath that is going to move the needle, at least in the first couple of years. Whether or not that flames out after a while, who knows. But I'm not going to bet against John Gruden. Zed, that's a good way of looking at it because obviously there has to be pundits. There has to be people that take the other side, especially in this ludicrous era that we're living in of embracing debate and having <laughs> debates on radio and Careful. television for no apparent reason. Careful, that's and, your, your well, sister yeah. television network there. Yeah, yeah. well, again, that's why I'm careful. But uh, getting to that, it, it, Gruden, to, to guess against or bet against Gruden, I don't think would be smart for two reasons. One, he was involved with the league at a very high level as a broadcaster. He wasn't your typical guy in the booth who was showing up two days before and putting together a, a card on the team and memorizing players' names. I mean, he was interviewing college quarterbacks with this Gruden quarterback camp. He was talking to coaches. He's got other coaches that are on staffs throughout the league as he puts together his new staff. I don't think there's ever been a broadcaster since television and football came together that you could say is more ready for an opportunity like this than John Gruden. And I think a lot of his offensive principles and a lot of what he brings to the table is exactly what the Raiders need going forward. Remember, if he was a defensive coach or a defensive mind, this move wouldn't happen. This move is happening for two reasons. The Raiders need to fix Derek Carr, who they gave $125 million to, 70 guaranteed. And Gruden will be the face of the franchise going into Las Vegas, where they're currently blowing up dirt about 15 miles from my house, building <laughs> this new stadium, and they need to sell tickets in PSLs. What happened with Carr this year? You know here in D.C., before the season began and after Carr got his money, most Redskin, not most, uh, the chunk of Redskin fans who don't think Kirk Cousins is that good were saying, well, of course Derek Carr is going to get $25 million. He's a baller, JT. That guy is cut from a different cloth. We have this kind of grinder robot guy who's, you know, putting up good numbers, but he's not Derek Carr. What happened this season to Carr? Well, it happened right there where you are in the nation's capital. The game at the Redskins was just a fiasco. Uh, the team came apart in that game. Everybody talks about rumors. That's the one where the that protest. Yeah, that's the one where the, uh, the the girl that was on radio, the girlfriend of somebody, said that the Raiders O line purposely quit blocking for Carr because of some I don't know diss that happened. Yeah, that never happened, and that was just horrible that anybody would even bring that up, especially with professional football players in a league like this. But there was a lot of concern after that game. The Raiders came into that game, if you remember, 2-0. and Oh, yeah. This was a 2-0 and team that really had the season right in front of them to be dominant. They got dominated and embarrassed in the nation's capital, and then after that, the team was never the same. Now, you know, I'm not talking so much about a divisive locker room, but Carr – lost something this year, and I think the key was his confidence. Rich Gannon has been on television and radio over the last week as he's trying to position himself to be the quarterback coach under John Gruden as he builds the staff, and Rich has said it. It starts with confidence, uh, some lazy footwork. Uh, He's not leading the way he should be in regards to holding his teammates accountable. I'm a big Derek Carr fan. He's a young guy. He's emotional. I think this year It was just sad to see him always play uptight, always play under duress. 
with an offensive line that was supposed to be one of the top five in the league, which didn't play like that. And on top of it, Carr could never find a rhythm with the offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. Remember, Todd Downing was elevated from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. They let Bill Musgrave go to the Denver Broncos because they didn't want to lose Downing, and they thought Downing and Carr were going to be a great fit going forward. It was anything but that. Downing couldn't get Carr in a rhythm, and Carr couldn't save Downing's job. Yeah, it was Miko Grimes, by the way, that went on yeah. radio mm-hmm. and said that the O-line quit blocking for Derek Carr because of something, which was the most ludicrous thing ever. But like you said, everyone's got to have their hot take in their four seconds of fame. L- let me ask you about uh, Mar- Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. Is he back next year? I, I would doubt it. I mean, I think he played hard. Say, if you watch a lot of football, if you watched him, over the last month of the season. Sure. I mean, he, it was taking two guys to bring him down on every play. And for Marshawn, I was pretty impressed. When there was a hole to run through, he hit the hole and had some nice games. A lot of times he was just running into his own offensive line because they weren't getting a push. All right, but how about all the stuff happen- getting kicked out of games and yeah. showing up in the stands and getting suspended? I mean, this nonsense doesn't help you win games. Not at all. Not at all. And that wasn't part of the plan when they brought him in. He's a different dude. He is a really different type of guy. And I don't think that he was loved throughout that locker room. I think he had a corner of that locker room that was with him. And then part of the locker room didn't buy into him. And Marshawn, again, if he's back next year in some role and capacity, it's only because John Gruden will put up with it. Because, as you know, Marshawn had his own Facebook television reality show and he was bringing those cameras into the locker room and he was bringing those cameras to practice and that really wasn't a smart move overall and jack del rio i think if i was a fan of jack del rio if there's one thing i could say about jack and what everybody's chirping about is that you know marshawn had just a little bit too much freedom a little bit too much a bit you know he had the ability to kind of do what he wanted to do and the raiders knew that when they signed him But overall, I would doubt he's going to be back unless he sells himself to Gruden. And Gruden says, look, I can't afford you to leave. I need a running back while I rebuild this passing game. JT The Brick joining us, Fox Sports Radio. You can hear him coast to coast. What time at night? I am on from 5 to 8 Pacific, 8 to 11 Eastern. And, of course, uh, on Twitter, at JT The Brick. All right, so the Vegas Stadium, how do you think once the Raiders make it there? As a longtime resident of the Valley, how do you think that team will be embraced, supported, and attended once they actually start playing games? It's going to be huge. It's a monster. Vegas is a monster. The population is growing like you wouldn't believe. Uh, The tourists that are going to come in here. Every week, right? Every week it's going to be, here's this set of fans who want to come to Vegas to watch their team and bet on everything else. And now here's this set of fans that want to come in, right? Yeah, and I have a different opinion on this that has changed since the Golden Knights launched a hockey team. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are, a lot of the pundits who are critical of the Raiders coming to Vegas are saying, well, you're going to lose home field advantage. Well, right. remember, in Oakland, in Oakland, they had to tarp off the upper deck, right? <laughs> right? So the upper deck is tarped off, and it only holds about, I think, 56,000 to begin with. In Vegas, where they're going to have over 70,000 seats, who cares if 20,000 Redskin fans come out or 25,000 Packer fans? Those fans are going to be paying, paying for the Raiders stadium because 
the tourist and the hotel tax are what's paying for this stadium. Right. So, yeah, with the, I'll be paying for it when I visit you guys for March yeah. Madness, my annual trip. <laughs> when the Zabe comes out here for the glorious March Madness broadcast, yeah. the I'm Zabe paying for that stadium paid. with an, electri- an extra $16 a night at the Mirage or wherever we're staying. Who no knows? doubt about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say this again, Vegas will embrace this. Steve, I'll tell you this. Just the L.A. Raider fans, forget about Oakland, forget about Las Vegas for a moment. Just the fans the from L.A. that will drive up will watch yes, the games. Just be the massive. amount of fans that will drive from L.A. The 15 freeway on a Saturday and Sunday is going to look like a scene from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You're going to see <laughs> thousands of cars that are black and silver with flags racing across the 15 freeway to try to get tickets for this. So, Look, they'll have a home field advantage. It's the home of the Raiders going forward. It'll be sold out mostly by Raider fans. But you better believe all the tourists, all the fans that want to come out here and fill up their this stadium, Vegas welcomes you with open arms. And how about the Golden Knights? Tell me what that's been like. I've read stories. I've seen people talk about it. The team is great. We know the GM. He was here in Washington. Uh, yep. But it, the, the city is like, this is great. This is fun, right? It's a huge hit so far. It's a massive hit, and no one saw it coming. Really? First off, I, I, I was no, no one saw it coming. They How were skeptical it, it would work, a, huh? Yeah, no. Well, first off, we knew it was going to be entertainment. It's going to be hockey. And then all of a sudden, other great fans are going to come out, and other great teams are going to come. Then you see the Capitals get hammered. Then you see the Blackhawks get beat. Then Nashville comes in the other night. They get beat. It's not only the amount of games that they've won to be in first place out west. It's who they're beating and how they're beating them. Now, the Blackhawks had 8,000 fans at their game, and a couple of teams that came out here, the Boston Bruins, had about 7,000 of their fans there. Think of this. If you live back east and you can go see your team play one road hockey game, what's it going to be? Easily, it's going to be Vegas. And then you have the rivals coming in from Los Angeles with the Kings and the Ducks in Anaheim. The Vancouver Canucks fans are nuts trying to get their hands on tickets. So we knew the place was going to be sold out. It was going to look good. It's a brand-new arena. But, Zabe, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, the fans are in their seat. They're smart. They understand what's happening with the sport. They understand that this team is already in the playoffs. They're a lock for the playoffs in their inaugural season. Well, do you know how many playing... do you know how many snowbirds live in your town? Do you know how many people who escaped the wrath yep. of winter to live in Las Vegas all year round? They're loving this. They're loving it because they're seeing great hockey. Now, how did McPhee build this team? What he did was really unique. When he drafted the players here, he took the players, you know, the players that weren't protected from around the league, and he put together a humble roster of guys who checked their ego at the door. There's no superstar like Ovechkin. There's no Sidney Crosby, but they do have Flurry and Goal, who's won three Stanley Cups. He is brilliant. And, Zave, they have four lines that don't switch. It's the same guys on each line. The fourth line is as good as the first line. So there's no drawback in this game. They're fantastic on defense. They're physical. They're fast. And they're blown away the NHL. It's a great story. Beautiful. We will be out there for Zave Vegas in March. I will be paying for that new monstrous stadium for Mark <laughs> Davis and the Raiders. I'm going to go by the construction site just to see it. Unfortunately, the Golden Knights play on Tuesday, the week I'm going out. A couple of my buddies are coming out a day, a day early to see it. I'll miss it. But I'm going to definitely get out there and see one of those games one of these times. And I will uh, buy you a steak dinner, my friend. 
Well, I'll tell you, Zeb, it's great for sports out here because I've seen you for all the years. You, we've been friends and working on the radio. You love March Madness. You understand Las Vegas. And now what's happening in Vegas, which is so unique. We have the biggest sporting event around the globe in Mayweather-McGregor. We have hockey now. The Raiders are coming. There are two NASCAR races, not one. There'll be a NASCAR race the second half of the season during the chase. You got the rodeo, which is massive out here. UNLV basketball, UNLV football, who, by the way, will share the stadium with the Raiders. So that will elevate the program. So Vegas is no longer a place just to go, to go to a sports book and bet on your favorite team. While you're out in Vegas, you're going to see some really good professional sports from here on out. All right, JT. Throw him a follow on Twitter at JT the Break and listen, of course, to him on uh, Fox Sports Radio, eleven. Did I get no eight to eleven p.m. Eastern time? I, I judge everything Eastern, my friend. Sorry about that. Just that would, East uh, Coast bias. You being a Long <laughs> hey, Island I, guy, you know East Coast bias, don't you? Let me just tell your audience one last thing. You gotta, you gotta come out west where football games are on at ten a.m. Where you know you watch preaching to the choir, man. Save, How could you watch a Monday night football game where it's halftime at eleven thirty at night? I mean, come out west, young man. We have room for you. We have no state taxes. We love you here, boy. You're gonna get you're gonna get yourself in trouble with a lot of people that are saying to me, "Stop talking up Arizona. Stop talking up Nevada so much, (laughs) Zabe. We we may seemingly like we have a lot of space, but I, I don't want everyone here. I want what we've got right now. JT, good to talk. As always, buddy, thanks. Thank you, my friend. Take care. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. All right, I've run long today, and I've left a lot of things on the table, which is understandable because every Monday it's going to be a complete festival of stuff. I didn't talk about uh, Brian Gutenkust. I think I said that right. Gutenkust. I'll get the name right eventually. He's the new GM of the Packers, as apparently Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers have gotten their wish, which is no Russ Ball, the disciple of uh, Ted Thompson, and instead they got Gutenkust, who is more a personnel guy, more of a football guy, more of a scout guy, instead of a bean counter, a green eye shade, which, okay, good for McCarthy, but now guess what? You better win this year. You better win, and you better win big. Off the world of sports, I love this story. Cruise ship passengers say they were horrified after a rough ride through the bomb cyclone back home to New York City. There's video of uh, this cruise from hell in which water was gushing in at certain points. Uh, The ship was tipping 30, 40 degrees each side. Uh, Some video of the rough seas. The Cruise liner, Norwegian Cruises, the Norwegian Breakaway was the name of the ship, apologized to passengers afterwards saying, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. I guess we should have made perhaps contingency plans. But they pretty much said, we didn't think it'd be that bad. Yeah, there's a bomb cyclone going off off the coast of the Atlantic. Let's just sail right through it. And, of course, some of the passengers interviewed were like, we would have gladly come home a day early to avoid this. And I'm saying to myself, bullshit. You know that passengers would be like, what? We're getting our cruise cut short by a day? No, screw that, man. I paid for seven days. I'm getting seven days. I want a whole new cruise for free. You know they would have done that. But the ship didn't sink. In fact, I don't think it came close to sinking. 
And I'm trying to think, when was the last time a cruise ship of note flat out sank? And don't say the Lusitania, which was hit by a submarine. I'm talking about a cruise ship in the open ocean because of bad weather, just bloop, bloop, down to the bottom. A Titanic situation. I've never taken a cruise personally, but uh, some swear by them. Some say that they are fantastic. Other people say, eh, not so much. I just don't know if I could be down with being with that many people all at once, all the time, for seven days. I know you stop at an island and we go, we get off and you go here, da 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 Still, though, I look at these massive ships and just, you know, it's a floating apartment building on the ocean. And then you hear the stories about the fires that break out and the ships that get crippled and are limping along and you have to rescue them off the uh, deck of the ship and uh, the norovirus cruises. And you hear about guys that fall off the railing and they just sort of pay hush money to keep everyone quiet. Like, yeah, we lost a guy, but let's not talk about it. And then everyone says, well, cruises are great, but you get super fat because all you're doing is going to the cafeteria every day or the buffet, not the cafeteria, and eating and eating and eating. But I guess I'll take one before I'm dead. I I feel like I need to at least punch that ticket before I say, okay, I've done it. It's off my list. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I am in the process of getting this distributed via Libsyn, which will put it up to iTunes and Google Play and every other venue out there. For the meantime, though, keep checking back here to Zabe.com. For the ZabeCast, your extra 35 to 45 minutes of me that you will not get anywhere else. If you have any ideas for topics, any questions, any things you'd like me to rant about, well then, reach me at zabe at yahoo.com or you can tweet me as well. But thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we will see you next time.